Uh, hear the word of the Lord. The reading today is from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her. Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called. And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour and a jar uh, and a little oil and a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to make a meal for my, uh, uh, to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God, the, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Hear the word of the Lord. Will you guys give them a little hand for being up here? Thank you, guys. Well, for those of you who I don't know, I'm Andrew. I'm the campus pastor here at the Leewood campus, and it's a joy here to be with you. And we've got some uh, young people, as uh, Don said. We've got some young people with us today. If you are, if you're a young kid, raise your hand. Tell me that you're here. Are you here? Yeah. Topher, Phil Green. That's definitely true. All right. I'm going to set your expectations really low right now if you're a young person. You're coming from a really fun group of people downstairs to me, and it's a huge drop-off, okay? It's, I'm not nearly as fun. Uh, as the volunteers down there who are with you, uh, as well as Miss Don, Miss Ann, and Miss Britley. So I'm sorry, I'm just going to apologize up front. Uh, but I do want to orient you a little bit. If you haven't been in here before, there's, there's, there are rules to being in here. Um, and the number one rule is to laugh at my jokes. That is the most important thing you can do. Like better than, like, yeah, better than that. So I was, I'm just warming you up. So just, just be aware. I'm just kidding. Um, I know, like I, I know there are uh, families in here, and it might, if, if there are noises, if it's loud, it's okay. I just want to put you at ease. It's okay. I love being a family of families. I love being a church family together, regardless of uh, your stage of life. So thank you for being here, and it's going to be a good Sunday. Let me uh, pray real quick, and then we'll jump in. <clears throat> God, we do thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of life that comes from your word. Father, open our, um, our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive from you today. And thank you for this beautiful church family that you've put together. Uh, may we honor you uh, as we continue to learn and worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so imagine you are Elijah. Okay, he's the main character of our new series with us that we started last week. You're, you are a prophet of God. You are sent by God with a unique mission. And your job is to confront the most evil, sadistic, powerful man in your country. His name is Ahab. He's the king of Israel. And you, here's, here's what Ahab has going for him. He, he has an army. He has infrastructure. He has allies. He has his, his, his wife Jezebel. 
Maybe you've heard that name before, Jezebel. Uh, one of his allies, she's a very formidable woman. Um, we talked a, l- a little bit about her last week. And <clears throat> you married her for political reasons because she's a foreigner. She's from the land of Sidon and you want to make an alliance. And the first thing she did uh, after the wedding was she brought in 400 prophets of Asherah, which was a god, a goddess of her country, and 450 prophets of Baal, who is a god of her country. And she has brought them into Israel and she's put them on the government payroll and she is now sending them out into Israel to convert people to those false gods. That's, that's what they're doing. And, and basically, you know, God said, we're going to confront them and you, you have on your team, you have you and you have God and that's it. That's your team. And after you confronted Ahab to his face, you went into his court and you said, what you're doing is wrong and God is going to shut off the rain uh, until you repent. Uh, and you did that and God told you to run away <laughs> so that you didn't get killed. And you ran off and you went into the wilderness, to the desert to hide. And then God shut off the rain, right? Which is good. That's what you said would happen. There's another sign that God is with you. He's on your side. You're doing his will. It's a good thing. So the whole land now, all of Israel is under drought. There's no rain. And at the time, Israel, right, was mostly farmland. That's how people ate and made money. So this is a bad thing to not have rain. And that God has been taking care of you by a stream in the desert. So he took you to a stream where there's water. He said, stay here. And it's, it's not the Hilton, but it's, you know, it's okay. Uh, there is room service. There are ravens that bring you food when they can. Uh, we talked about that last week. They, they bring food in the evening or in, in the morning uh, when they can get away from whatever it is that ravens do during the day. And, uh, you know, their bedside manner is not great, but it'll do. They're bringing you food and you're, you're, you're alive. And, and maybe what you're thinking if you're Elijah in this moment is, okay, I did my job. I confronted Ahab. The drought happened. Now I'm just going to stay here and let God fix it, take care of it. And I'll go back when he says. So you, you kick your feet up and you wait for, for dinner to arrive. But then all of a sudden, the stream stops running. It's gone. And you're, and you're like, oh, remember that drought? I, God must have forgotten to leave my tap running. <laughs> uh, what, what, you know, what, and, and now you're really in a pickle because you cannot, there's no help for you outside of this. You can't go ask someone to help you. Ahab is, is, is uh, going door to door looking for you. Ahab is convinced um, that if he kills you, this drought will end. So every resource at his disposal is aimed at finding you. But surely God's going to help you. He has come through so many times before. God is going to help me. And so you look at the ravens and you're wondering, are they going to start bringing bottled water? Is that the plan from now on? I'm okay with that as long as it works. And they look at you and they can't talk because they're ravens. But you get a sense from the look on their eye that this is goodbye. And they say, and, and, and they fly away and you wave, thanks for the memories, and you never see them again. That's where Elijah is as we begin this morning. He is out of water, he's out of food, he's out of ideas. And this has to be a very confusing place for Elijah to be, you know? He, he's like, God, I'm out here for you. <laughs> I didn't come out here for fun. I came out here because you told me to. And this whole country of Israel, God's people, they are worshiping Baal under Ahab's direction. We talked about last week how evil that is. And Elijah's like, I'm trying to stop that. 
If you didn't hear last week's sermon, listen to it. We describe just how awful it is that God's people are running after Baal. It's so awful, I'm not going to say it again, what happens in a, in a temple on a worship together Sunday. So you have to go listen to it. But everything's going south for, for Israel. And, and Elijah is like, in his mind, he's like, I'm the only guy doing anything about it. It's like, I stood up to Ahab, I, and, you, and God, you cut off the rain, and, and I'm showing that you, and not Baal, and not Asherah, you are the Lord alone. And he's calling, you know, Elijah's calling the people back to true religion, and then he runs out of food and water. So it's like, now what? And I can just imagine Elijah standing by the, the stream, and the last few drops of water trickle by, and he's got to be saying to himself, God, all I wanted to do was show that you and you alone bring life. You alone. You bring rain, you bring life. Not Baal, not Asherah, not Ahab, no human king, no pagan false god, you and you alone. But now I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my life in the process of doing that. But, but here's the thing, God is not done. God is not done. He's not done with Ahab, he's not done with Israel, he's not done with Elijah, but not by a long shot. And he is still going to show Elijah that he gives life. And he's going to show us too. So if you brought your Bible, uh, turn to the book of 1 Kings. That's where we're going to be this morning, chapter 17. Use your table of contents if you need to. It's not a book we often, uh, that's easy to find sometimes. We're going to pick back up in verse 8, the beginning of our story. In verse 8, this is Elijah sitting by a dry creek bed. Okay, this is how we find him. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, the text does not get into this at all, okay? But trust me, when, when Elijah hears of this plan, his jaw hits the floor. Trust me, he's shocked. He's shocked that this is God's idea to save him. And here's how we know. Uh, many, 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 many years later, Jesus talks about this story. So in the book of Luke, when Jesus gives his first public sermon in the book of Luke, it's in chapter four, he does it in his hometown, goes to Galilee, the region of Galilee, and he, he preaches, and he reads a text from Isaiah. And if you read that story, the people in the synagogue, you know, Jesus reads and he sits down and they go, that's a great text, but isn't that just Jesus from here? It's like we know his mom, we know his dad, he's nothing special. And they begin kind of talking about themselves. Who, is, what is, who does he think he is? And Jesus kind of senses the meh in the crowd. And he points to this story. He says, you know what? Elijah was not welcome in his hometown either when he was a prophet. And he says, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, there were many widows in the land of Israel at the time of Elijah, but God did not send Elijah to Israel. He sent him to the, to the widow of Sidon in Zarephath. And when the people hear Jesus say this, they don't go, you know what, Jesus, you're right. We didn't think about it that way. They say, we're going to kill you. And they try to kill him. It's the first time someone tries to kill Jesus. Is right there. He preaches this text. Why? Well, <clears throat> here's why. Sidon, where Elijah is sent to go, is a pagan nation. Is, this, is not, this is outside of Israel. And not only is it a pagan nation, it is where Jezebel herself is from. Her dad is the king of Sidon. So God is saying to Elijah, I'm going to save you, but I need you to go to the unclean pagan foreigner. I need you to go to the Baal worshiper, 
to whom I'll send you, and there I will save you and provide for you. Now, it's, it's like I'm saying this, but it's hard for us to get our minds around like just exactly how this would hit Elijah. So here's the best I could do. This is like God telling Billy Graham to get out of the Bible belt and go to Syria where a Muslim widow will take care of him. Okay. Okay, now you're beginning to get at, at the racial, political tension uh, between these two countries. This is, this is where Elijah is right now. And, that, and that's not all God's asking Elijah to do. It's hard enough at this time in history for God to tell Elijah to go to a foreign pagan man for help. But for a, a woman at this time, right? I, I mean, in our highly, uh, you know, liberated Western culture, even we still have to admit, like, men struggle to ask women for help. We are too insecure to do that. That is still a problem. Imagine at this time, when regionally most women did not have rights. Many cultures at this time thought women were property. Okay, think of the embarrassment and shame Elijah would feel to do this. And Elijah has got to be thinking, God, there's got to be another way. Can't you protect me here like you've been doing? You just have birds bring me food. There's got to be another cuddly animal in the wilderness who can bring me food. Just go find them and do that. Why do I have to leave my home, my la- the land you've given to our people? Why do I have to leave my home country? Why are you sending me to a pagan woman? Are you not powerful enough to provide for me here? And we don't, you know, that, we don't get that in the text, and I don't know what God's response would be, but I imagine it would be something like, absolutely I could provide for you here, but I'm not going to. So go and get out. Do what I said. And so to Elijah's credit, he goes to Zarephath, and he runs into a widow gathering sticks there. That's verse 10 of chapter 17. And the fact that she is gathering sticks uh, is not a good sign. Uh, there's a, wa- there's a, a drought uh, on water, but not on firewood. Um, but she is, seems unable to even have basic firewood for her home. So she's out gathering. So basically, this woman is very poor. We, we see it right away. Uh, she has absolutely nothing. And I love this because Elijah shows up and he just says to her, Hey, can you, can you bring me some water? <laughs> and she's like, Sure. <laughs> sure. I'd like some water too. Let me go get some for you. <laughs> this is like going to a shelter and, and finding someone there who's looking for a room and saying, hey, do you have a couple bucks to spare? I, I'm short. It's like, really? What are you doing here? <laughs> this is what, I'll, and then, I, and then I, I love this part. She, I mean, she, the hospitality culture at this time is so strong that even though she doesn't know who this is, he asks for help and, and she, she, says, she says, I'll get you some water. She drops the sticks and she goes to, to get the water. I love this about Elijah. He says, he does that thing that we've all done uh, when you're on the couch and someone gets up. And he says, while you are up, would you also go get some food for me? Because I'm hungry too. I'm not just thirsty. (laughs) And uh, the woman, I love this. This is how she replies. This is verse 12. As the Lord your God lives... Okay, she knows he's an Israelite. She hears his accent. She knows you're not from here. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. 
that we may eat it and die. So the widow is basically saying, listen, buddy, if you want to stay here and, and die with me and my son, we're more than happy to accommodate you. But if you came here hoping to live, you were wrong. And Elijah, he says to her, do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Elijah says, God's going to take care of us. Go ahead and make your last meal. There will be more. He's going to provide. Now, I'm not sure that uh, the widow believes him at this point. I don't know. My hunch is that she just has nothing to lose. It's like if, 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 we're gonna, if our last meal is with this crazy guy, fine. You know, this drought that is over the whole region, there's no water anywhere. So she's got to be thinking, I don't know what we're going to do. But she, okay, fine. So verse 15, she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. And the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. They lived several weeks like this with the food and the water never running out. It's like the odd couple, right? It's like the two most random people you could put together and they're, they're thriving, they're living. And God proves again in this story that he is faithful. He does what he says he will do. And the widow, for her part, she is beginning to see in this story that God and not Baal can truly provide for her. God's power, even in the land of Baal, is insurmountable. And you have to remember, at this time, uh, most people were polytheists. They thought that there were many gods. They kind of had a, a favorite of their home country, but they believed in many gods, and they thought that the gods were most powerful in their home country. It's not that this woman doesn't think there's a God of Israel. She just thinks the God of Israel is really only concerned with Israel. He's only powerful there. And Baal is powerful here. We worship Baal here. So they were kind of limited geographically, the, the deities were. But God is showing her here, no, 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 no. Even in the land of Baal, I can provide when he cannot. His power knows no bounds. She's beginning to see that God's power has no bounds. No boundaries. It breaks through. And Elijah, he already believed that God was powerful. He knew God was the creator and sustainer of all life. But Elijah needed to see with his own eyes that God gives life even in enemy territory. Even to outsiders, God gives life. Ethnic outsiders, religious outsiders, socioeconomic outsiders, social outsiders. You see, Elijah knew God's power knew no bounds, but now he sees that God's love and God's mercy and God's grace know no bounds. God breaks through, even to Israel's enemies, even to this pagan widow, right? The pagan needed God's prophet to see that God alone brings life, but the prophet needed the pagan to see that God brings life to whomever he wants. Sometimes we look at the story, we think God's trying to save the, the Baal worshipers. He's trying to save the pagans in Israel and in Sidon, and, and that's true, but he's also trying to save the religious people. He's teaching Elijah, I'm bigger than you know, and my purpose and my plan is larger than you can see. 
but God isn't done. And after a while of, of this pattern of them having enough, uh, the, the son of the household, the widow's son, becomes very, very sick. That's verse 17. He was very ill to the point of death. The text says, you know, he breathes his last. He dies. He's so sick. And his mother uh, picks up his body and she carries it to Elijah. So this is a little boy. She can carry him in her arms. So she carries him to Elijah. And she basically accuses Elijah. Listen to what she says. Verse 18. She says, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And essentially, I think what she's saying here is, I thought you and your God were here for blessing. But you're not. You're here for punishment, aren't you? This is all some sick joke between you and your God. You and he kept us alive long enough just so I could watch my son die. That's what you've done. And Elijah doesn't really have a response. He says to her, give me your son. And so he, he, he takes her son. He, he runs upstairs. He was staying in the second floor of this, of this home. And he lays the son down on his own mat, his own bed. And in verse 20, he cries out, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? He's saying, is she right? Is that why we're here? Is that what you've done? See, the widow is confused, but so is Elijah. He wonders aloud to God, have you really brought me here to kill this boy? Is that the mission? So he, he stretches out over the child, the body of the child, and three times cries to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him. O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him. O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come back. And on the third time, God resurrects this boy. The life comes back into him. The breath comes back into him. He was dead, and now he's alive. Elijah picks him up, carries him downstairs, hands him back to his mother, and says, see your son lives. And, the, the, and then the most important thing happens, okay? This is the, the, the whole point of the story comes next. It's what the woman says. Listen to what she says when she receives her son back from the dead. She says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. You see, before this, she didn't know. But now she knows the living God. She, and now, she has seen God cross boundaries already. Um, geographic boundaries, we talked about that. Political, ethnic, social, religious boundaries. Even metaphysical boundaries. She saw God turn air into food. <laughs> but she didn't know. She needed, there was one more boundary she had to see crossed. She didn't, I don't even think she knew it. She had to see God cross the boundary of death and bring life. And that's what he did. When she saw God raise her son from the dead, she knew this God is with me. Not Baal, not Asherah, no other false God of this region. It is the God of Israel alone because only this God can bring life from death. But my hunch is, even after this realization, she says, I know that she's still confused as to what happened. I think Elijah probably was too. Uh, did you catch, when she's talking to Elijah before he raises her son, did you, did you notice she brings up her sin? She says, have you, is this because of my sin? Now you have to remember, this, in this region, at this time, 
in history, the, the prevailing worldview, right, is that when you sin against God or a God, the payment is life. Okay, there's a reason that a lot of the Old Testament is about sacrifice, animal sacrifice. It's about a life. To be in the presence of God, there must be life taken. And she understood that. She's asking, is this, why, is this, is this a punishment for something I've done? And Elijah, for his part, he He's, he wonders the same thing. God, have you done this because of sin? He doesn't know. And in fact, what Elijah does next kind of proves the point. So he, <clears throat> he stretches out over the boy. So hand to hand, face to face. Why does he do that? Well, as best I can tell, he, he is offering his life in place of the boy. He's saying, God, take my breath, take my life, and put it in him. If a life must be taken, take mine. Now, here's the thing. God hears his prayer, he raises the boy, and he takes no one's life. Why? If a life must be taken, as everyone in this story assumes is the case, why is no life taken? Why is neither life taken? And God's answer, it's not immediate. It takes a couple, I don't know, thousand years. It's not immediate, but God's answer, he hints in this story, is that he's, the, the son's life cannot save the mother. And Elijah, your life cannot save the boy, but my life can save you all. Right? There's another life on the line in this story. You don't see it yet, but it's there. There's another stretching that has to happen. There's another son who has to die. And you see, God will not send, when he sends Jesus, he is not sending a prophet like Elijah. He's sending his son. He's sending his son into enemy territory to a people who do not know him and do not want to know him. And he will, he will stretch his life over theirs. And in his resurrection from the dead, he will raise them from the dead. God's life for them. God's life for yours, for mine. See, and this is where the story turns to us today in this room. And, and, and maybe you're beginning to see that God and God alone can bring life. Maybe you've seen God provide in your life in small ways, or, or, or maybe you've heard rumors of what God can do. But, did, but do you know that the word of God is true? Maybe you're here because you like church and you like the Bible and they're wholesome and traditional things that help you and your family uh, to, to learn good morals and live good lives. And, but for you, this story is about, it's not a <laughs> church and what God is doing is about making bad people good, not about making dead people live. But do you, are you beginning to see in this story that resurrection is what you need and that that's exactly what God offers to you? It's exactly what he offers to you. And maybe you're here and you're a young person and you come here because your parents make you. And maybe you don't want to be or you don't, you're not yet sure. Do you see in Jesus the God who gives life to you? Have you chosen him? Are you, is this story helping you? Or maybe you're a lot more like Elijah. You're an expert, for, a lot, you, for lack of a better word. You, you could quote the New Testament to me. But do you know, are you seeing that God loves the outsider? 
Are you beginning to understand that thing, the boundaries we've created in our world, boundaries like race and religion and zip codes and gender are nothing for God's power? Nothing. Are you going to uncomfortable places and situations and conversations and bringing the God who gives life with you there? Are you, are you bringing life by God's help to situations that seem beyond repair? Are you asking for God to bring life where you see only death? Maybe you're more like the widow. You're not sure whether God exists, and, and even if there is a God, you're not sure he's worth following or worshiping. But are you beginning to see that the, this God provides life in a way that no other God can? Are you beginning to see that there are things in your life, we don't, have, we don't call them Baal and Asherah anymore, but there are things in your life that you worship, things that bring you comfort, security, things that get you out of bed in the morning, things that you aim your whole life at, right? And, when, and, and I can't tell you what those things are, but when they come to mind, ask yourself this question, does that God defeat death for you? Or when you die, is it gone? Does, does that God bring a resurrection to your life? Right, Jesus came to show you, not to teach you how to live, but to show you in power that death has no grip on him and to invite you in him to defeat death that death would have no grip on you? Does the God you worship today, does he offer you that? Does the God you, does he stretch himself out over your life? Will your God die for you? Or does your God say, this is my body broken for you? This is my blood shed for you? We're gonna take communion in, in just a second, and I, but I just want us to, it's a perfect application for what we're seeing. And here's what, here's what Jesus is, is saying to each one of you and me, whether you know him, follow him, or not. He makes the same offer. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he gave thanks, he broke it in front of his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, he poured it out for each one. He said, this cup is a, a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And every time we celebrate this meal together, we remember that the Lord is returning. But before that, we remember that he stretched his life out over yours. When Jesus gives the Lord's Supper, he's offering himself to you again. So if you've trusted in that sacrifice today, if you're a follower of Jesus, come to the table in just a minute and receive life. That's what you're doing. Receive life again. And if you're here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, you're not sure yet, that's okay. Just don't take the meal. Don't do something you're not ready to do. That's okay. But consider his offer of life. It stands for you. It's not just for the insider. It's for you. Stay and, and consider his offer of life and resurrection for you. Right, as we prepare our hearts, let's pray.